Okay, welcome to another episode of Tall Hungry Girl Talks. Today we are talking about personal care products. So cosmetics, shampoo, conditioner, you know, everything that we, we put on our body to make us smell good, to make us look better, to take care of ourselves. Um, the reason why this is relevant is because they are largely unregulated. The FDA does not even require safety testing of ingredients in personal care products before they're used. Um, and my guests today are going to be talking more about this. My first, this is part one of a two-part series. Um, so this first podcast, I am interviewing Andrea Palambella. She is an award-winning document documentary producer and director located um, near Washington, D.C. After learning about toxic chemicals and personal products that millions of Americans use every day, she began a quest for answers, and the idea for a new film was born called Pretty Ugly. It's a documentary about her journey through the beauty industry and how consumers can avoid exposure to harmful ingredients hidden in their toiletries and cosmetics. You can learn more um, at www.prettyuglythefilm.com. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, and then my second interview will be with Melissa Sandos. Saying it right, Melissa? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she has a passion for helping people make safer choices, whether it's in her day job as an environmental toxicologist, helping to clean, clean up heavily polluted land and rivers, or her side gig as a beauty counter consultant, empowering people find safer bath and beauty products. She loves to dive deep into the science of what makes something toxic and educate the public on how to minimize their exposure to potentially harmful chemicals. Her goal is to create a safer world with healthier people one conversation at a time. So today we are doing just that. So we are having this great conversation. So I will start with you, Andrea. Why did you decide to make um, your film and, and kind of dive into more about what it's about? Absolutely. Um, so the idea for the film really came about because my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer twice in two years, two different types of cancer. And um, as she was going through her journey of healing and kind of learning about how to make safe choices and to recover from um, having cancer and going through the treatment process, she shared with us that she had learned all about um, toxic chemicals within the household, both with cleaners, um, and food, and then also toiletries. And that was a really big shock to us because we knew that household cleaners could be harsh. And we knew that there were some food ingredients to avoid like um, high fructose corn syrup and um, you know, partially hydrogenated oils, just in general for overall health. And, um, but when we found out that the cosmetics industry was virtually unregulated and there were a lot of chemicals being used that hadn't been tested, as well as chemicals that were being used that had been proven to be toxic and harmful and linked to breast cancer and other forms of diseases and health issues, it was just like shocking. And I'm a very passionate person and I'm very much into um, social justice and, and also health and wellness. So I was just like totally taken aback when I found this out and I dove in and just tried to research as much as I could. And the more I found out, the more I was just like, this is really crazy. We have to do something about it. So as a family, we all kind of started cleaning out our cabinets little by little, and we would replace things as they were empty and try to find, you know, cleaner swaps, if you will, and um, started sharing this with my extended family and friends. And one day I was um, just researching, I had bought a mascara and I didn't have time to look up the ingredients. I was the nerd in the, uh, in the like Ulta or Sephora, looking up each ingredient on my phone. See that? I, yeah, talking yeah. to myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my husband thinks I'm crazy. Um, and so I didn't have time. I was in, in a rush. So I just grabbed the mascara and I came home and I was looking on the environmental working groups cosmetic database called Skin Deep. And they have all these ingredients and they have a safety rating and they have products and research on chemicals and, you know, just to find out what's in it and what the safety is. And so all that to say, I just kind of stopped and I thought, this is crazy. Like, this is such an important story. People need to know for public awareness and public health that we are swimming basically in a bath of chemicals every day. There's little regulation, there's little true information and testing. And these chemicals are, you know, the ones that we know about have been associated with really major health risks. So why wouldn't I use my skills as a storyteller as a producer and director to bring this story to life and be able to share it with the whole world at once rather than going from person to person trying to advocate, which is very important. But I just thought, gosh, why don't I just use my professional experience as a platform to be able to really bring this story to life and 
you know, go on a quest for answers and really dive deep into this so that people can know and it's, it's translatable and it's relevant because the science and the data, as Melissa will probably share, is like so complex and you really need a PhD in chemistry to even crack the surface of a lot of the, the chemical formulas and understanding what's safe and what's not. So I just wanted to learn as much as I could and be able to share that in a way that would be entertaining and educational and really in, uh, empower and equip people with tools to make healthy choices for themselves and their families. Yeah. And I think too, for most people, it's just like the knowledge that the FDA hasn't really updated the regulations since the 1930s. Like I'm sure your film will highlight that, but that in itself is so shocking. And I think that, you know, when people watch your film, they'll learn more about that. And I mean, that will hopefully, you know, inspire people to make changes because it's scary. Um, So did, did people talk about why regulation hadn't been updated in your film? Was that one of the topics? So we do talk about the regulation piece. We are really um, honored to be able to interview Janet Noodleman, who's the Director of Policy at the Breast Cancer Prevention Partners um, in San Francisco. We spoke a little bit with Nika Leba at the Environmental Working Group about that as well. Um, and then we are, we have an interview quasi-scheduled with um, the Director of Policy for the National Women's Health Network, Isabel Chaudhry. So once it's safe to convene, we'll be doing that interview as well to talk more about policy and environmental justice. Um, The point being, everyone just kind of said, yeah, there's been no update because there's really not been enough demand. And when we, you know, there's so much power behind big beauty. It's, you know, such a big, you know, there's all sorts of estimates. Some people say it's $62 billion. Some people say it's 90 some billion, but big beauty in the United States and globally is a huge industry. And there's always a lot of pressure that um, they put on policymakers to mitigate regulations. So there's a long history of that happening. There's been many bills introduced both in the House and the Senate over the past decade and and longer to try to update that regulation from 1938. And um, there's just not been a lot of success. There's always resistance. And um, there's also, I think, it's just there's so little authority right now that it just, I think almost seems impossible to be able to bring in new authority. And the fact is that companies kind of have all of their own standards and it's so deregulated and so, or not deregulated, it's so um, ununiform, like terminology and standards. And so I think it's just that we have so far to go and it almost feels like it's too late in a sense. Yeah. And, and two, like, it's almost like within the FDA, they would have to create like some sort of new like organization um, to regulate the the beauty industry because, like you said, it is so far behind. Right, and, so, and they're really small yeah. team. And I tried to I tried to interview the FDA, and they basically just sent back a little statement that says, you know, we make sure that products are safe. And it was very like, you know, like okay, great, thanks for checking that box, but we really want to talk to you and really get more information. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just really complicated. And I think one of the things that was really shocking is that they, you know, with pharmaceuticals, which the FDA also oversees, um, they have to test and prove safety before putting things on the market. And when it comes to personal products and toiletries, that's not the case. So any company can, they don't have to register with the FDA and they can put whatever products they want out. And even if the product is proven to be unsafe, which several of them have across like a national um, you know, um, awareness where there were shampoos or products containing formaldehyde that many people got sick from, um, they don't have the authority to even recall the product. So it's just insane. So it's like, basically, it's, you know, use at your own risk and hope nothing bad happens because no one's going to do anything about it if you do get sick. Yeah. And what, so I went to a panel, um, like a clean beauty panel. And one of the things that they were talking about was similarly to what you just said, was that there's no authority. So it's like, they will have to urge the company to pull their product instead of like the government having the authority to do so if like your spinach was, you know, tainted (laughs) or something like that. Like, you know, those recalls go out quickly, but it's like if your eyeshadow has, you know, some sort of toxic chemical in it, it could sit there and nothing, you know, it's just out there. And that to me was like shocking. I was like, oh, the government doesn't have, oh, wow. Okay. This is, this is real. And so I think like the power is with the consumer, right? Absolutely. Um, so in terms of like, why, I guess, what are, who are some of the people that are stopping those, these bills? Are they lobbyists for um, the beauty industry or who, did you, did you figure that out in your film? 
Well, I, yes. So we talked a little bit about that and I certainly don't want to talk out of turn or try to act like I'm a policy expert because I'm absolutely not. But one of the things that I do know is that when the state of California chose to pass a law that required companies to list any um, chemicals that had were associated with birth defects or cancer and, and make note on the label, um, the Personal Care Products Council, which is the association that kind of oversees, guides, and protects the beauty industry in the United States, um, lobbied and spent, I think, over like $600,000 in California alone to try to prevent the bill from being enacted officially once it was passed. So um, that's just an example that I know of um, that's very concrete, that's well documented in the news. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, and, and it's really interesting because with some of the laws or some of the bills that are up now, the companies are coming alongside larger, larger beauty industry companies are saying, you know, yeah, we do support this. Um, and some people say that's because it's, they want to have a little bit of influence and ensure there's some leniency and loopholes. So um, oh. it's really tricky. Yeah. So the, the bill that's in the house right now is very stringent and there's a lot of conversation around, well, it's never going to get passed because it's like too strict. And then the one in the Senate, there's conversation that it's way too lenient and advocacy groups are saying that's not good enough because it'll actually set us back in time if it gets passed because it, it will allow certain things to slip by that should be enforced or regulated. And then it will enable companies to kind of continue doing a similar thing to what they're already doing now. And it will be harder to sort of update and, and improve that down the road. So it's really complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Many, many, many layers to yeah. it. Yes. Wow. So, um, what were, I guess when you walked away, cause you're still, you're still making the film, right? Yes. Um, I guess in the midst of this, were you just like, wow, like what, what, what were some of the takeaways that you had? You know, I think that I wasn't, when I set out to do the story, it was never to say that, you know, if you use uh, a nail polish with phthalates in it, you're going to have a miscarriage. Or if you use lipstick with lead, you're going to, you know, have a deficit in your IQ. Like, it was yeah. never to say, you know, these very extreme statements, but it, it was really to find out, okay, really just answering a lot of questions. I'm a very inquisitive person. So really the whole purpose of the film was, you know, what are the most concerning chemicals that we should be cautious of in our daily, you know, get ready regimens? Um, what can consumers do about that? What has been done to, you know, protect consumers, whether through companies taking a stand and saying, we're not going to use these ingredients in our products um, or, you know, um, people learning about it and demanding change in lieu of regulation. And so just really wanting to find out a lot of these answers of what makes this whole thing tick and how can people make safer choices. Um, but one thing that really did surprise me in trying to find those answers was that there really are some very strong data links to these chemicals and people getting sick. And one of the people I interviewed was a hairstylist named Jen, and she lives um, in just north of San Diego. And she and her sister both got poisoned from formaldehyde exposure doing the Brazilian blow-up treatment on each other. And they did it for their first time before they wanted to try it out on their clients. This is back in like the early, I think like 2010, 2012. And um, it was when it became very, very popular. And so they're like, you know, they bought the bottle, they did the treatments on each other to test it out, and then they were gonna start offering that to their clients. Well, the very first time they did it, they both got sick and they both like certifiably from the doctor got verified that they had formaldehyde poisoning and they had nosebleeds. They were incredibly sick. They had migraines. They couldn't see. They had damage to their lungs. I mean, crazy stuff like using two inhalers. So, you know, people think like, oh, it's not a big deal. The dose makes the poison. But some of these chemicals we're finding out, particularly endocrine disrupting chemicals that mess with our hormones. Um, one of the other scientists I interviewed, she said, the chemicals that we're using have enough to affect us at the parts per billion level. So I'm sure Melissa is much more, you know, equipped to talk about that, but I was just blown. I was just blown. I thought, Oh my gosh. And then the other thing that was really shocking was thinking about the cocktail effect. So we have these products we're using on our bodies that we're, you know, inhaling, we, you know, perfumes and hairsprays, we're swallowing lipsticks, we're ingesting them, we're absorbing things on our skin that go into our bloodstream. And so we have all this exposure, but we don't really test the chemicals in combination. We test one chemical at a time and then we see what happens to it, but we never look at in concert, you know, if you look at the back of a product, it has what, five, 10, 20 or more ingredients depending on the product. So no one's testing the interaction of these chemicals and no one's testing the interaction of those chemicals with chemicals in the air and in the water and the other things that we come in contact with and the fact that our, you know, our clothes are sprayed with formaldehyde so they don't wrinkle when they get shipped and all these things. So it's really, um, it was just eye-opening to see that this really is like one spoke in the wheel of healthy living and that there's so many interactions on the chemical level that we really 
we're just cracking the surface on trying to understand how all these interactions may be affecting our health. Yeah, no, definitely. So what happened with the girls? Did they, with the, um, the oh. stylists? Yeah, so really awesome story. I don't want to give it all away. Okay, oh, okay. Well, that can be a teaser. We'll leave that as a teaser because I want to watch the film when it's done. <laughs> well, long story short is that they um, really just, she was so passionate and she started advocating for her own health and, you know, just decided that they were not going to do those treatments. Obviously, they, they did get better and they actually partnered with um, the uh, state of California to pursue a lawsuit and, and they were able to testify and share their story both in California and also federally and talk about the adverse effects. So that was a really positive story, but I'll, I won't give away if yeah. they won or what happened. So stay tuned. Okay. Okay. And, and where, when will your film be out? Oh gosh, great question. So <laughs> we, have, um, we have two interviews that we are waiting to do once it's safe to reconvene um, because of COVID. We obviously want to prioritize safety first. Um, and so our goal is really to move into editing the feature length film. And as part of that, we are going to be deploying a crowdfunding campaign to raise what's called finishing film so that we can pay our production partners to um, help us complete the project. And then we will be hopefully releasing it by the end of the year. So that's the goal. It's a volunteer-based project I'm doing um, as passion project. So it's one of those, we make as much progress as we can, as often as we can, but it's a slow and steady um, chipping away. So the goal is to have it ready to release to the public by the end of the year. Okay. And it's prettyuglythefilm.com, right? Yes. Okay. So people can check out um, that website if they want to learn more about the film, um, the exact release date, and then also, there's like a take action button, just like a lot of super helpful things on the website. Um, I think now is a great time to bring Melissa into the fold because I want people to understand how chemicals work and about like toxicology in general. I think that there was a lot of great things that Andrea mentioned. And so maybe Melissa can provide additional insight on some of those things. So how does the science of toxicology work and why is it so hard to identify exactly how toxic a chemical might be? One of the things that Andrea mentioned was like things working together, you know, it may be safe, you know, used by itself, but when put together. So can you, can you talk more about that, Melissa? Yeah, for sure. Um, and so this is one of the things that I actually love about toxicology is how complicated it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's everything interwoven together, right? It's chemistry, it's biology, it's genetics, it's um, the way that you live your life, um, the things that you interact with, um, it's hydrology, it's geology, like it's everything all together. And um, so that does create, unfortunately, a giant soup sometimes of confusion of trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Um, and so when we're thinking about chemical safety, right, which is our, our big topic for today, um, it's takes a lot of work and a lot of effort to try and figure out all of the things around that. So you need multiple studies and you need it from all different kinds of angles and stitch those together to get a broad understanding of what's really going on. Um, so the first thing that you need to understand, right, is how might we be exposed to a chemical? And Andrea, you were alluding to this, you know, there's three major routes of exposure that we consider. One is inhalation, one is ingestion, and one is um, getting it on your skin and getting it absorbed through your skin. Um, so once it gets into your body from one of those, well, where does it go in your body? Does it get absorbed into your bloodstream and then it travels throughout? Or does it like go straight to your brain? Does it go straight to your liver, straight to your kidneys? Like, where is it going? And then how does your body try and get rid of it? Um, you know, we actually are empowered as humans. Our livers and our kidneys do a fantastic job of cleaning up house inside of us. You know, they're constantly um, screening out the chemicals that are in your bloodstream, pulling them out, metabolizing them, getting them ready to get back out of the body and um, trying to make them less toxic. So we have that built-in feature in our body um, that's working really hard for us every day. Um, but then sometimes, you know, if you get too much of a chemical or depending on what it is, um, then it could end up going to a place in the body where it can start to cause toxicity. Um, and so the question is, well, where in the body is that? Like, is it in your neuron cells? Is it in your liver cells? Is it um, in your reproductive organs? Like, where is this happening? And then trying to figure out on the molecular level, what exactly is happening there? So, um, like, is it damaging DNA? 
which is the first step of cancer, right? Um, is it over-triggering a cellular receptor? Um, we have receptors on the outside of our cells, and um, some chemicals just trigger it over and over and over and over and over again until it's completely exhausted. And then that messes up our communication system within our cells. Um, so then you can also just have like straight up damage, <laughs> like um, free radical damage or corrosive um, like damage to your cell, which just causes you know cell damage and cell death so so there's lots of different things that can happen um and then you layer on top of that is that um there's a lot of variability in the level of effects from person to person yes. right and that's yeah that's a function yeah. of genetics age uh your sex um what other health conditions you might have going on um there's so many different factors at play um, so one, something that makes one person really sick might not really affect another person. Yeah, I've, I've actually experienced that in my own life because I have a very, very, very strong sense of smell. And I always mm -hmm. joke that I'm like a delicate orchid because if something <laughs> is going to affect you, it will affect me. So oh, it's like okay. <laughs> I can smell like I can smell bleach very strongly. I, mm. Anything that... Um, is like has the ability to kind of like negatively impact you like through smell it negatively impacts me i can like if someone says oh this is sugar free or doesn't have any sugar in it i can taste if they're lying or oh, if there is a, uh -huh. or if there's a sugar substitute being used like i am so sensitive and so i am that person who that you're talking about like this is why i'm doing this episode uh -huh. like, i digress yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I think that's a really important point that some people are very sensitive. And so, um, you, you know, we want a system, we want to generate regulations that protect everybody, right? You know, not just the really insensitive people, but also the very sensitive people. Um, so, so yeah, so there's that whole question of variability. Um, but then there's also variability in terms of how much you're getting exposed to. And so there's a whole lot of strange math that goes into trying to estimate your exposure to a chemical. Um, you know, how much of a proportion of this product is made up of this chemical? And then if you put it on your skin, how much gets absorbed through your skin into your bloodstream? And then where does it go? So there's a lot of, you know, strange calculations where we're trying to figure out how much of a dose could people reasonably expect from a certain exposure. And then you layer on the fact that it, that's just one chemical and we are exposed, as Andrea was saying, to a cocktail of chemicals all day, every day. And a lot of them interact with each other. Some of them um, might do the same thing. And so when you have two of them in a cell, um, that's called additive. Um, so they, they are essentially, um, you can add their toxicity together. Um, some chemicals make other chemicals worse. Um, that's called potentiating. And so it's one chemical that, um, that makes the other one even more toxic than it should be. Um, other chemicals cancel each other out. And so, so yeah, so it's, a lot. Say, it's incredibly yeah. complicated. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to figure it all out. Um, and unfortunately, we, you know, we're doing our best as toxicologists to do the studies to do the work, but it, it's just a lot. And it's a yeah. lot to try and make sense of yeah. um, when you put everything together. Mm -hmm. And Andrea, you had um, alluded earlier, you know, the idea about the dose makes the poison. Um, and this quote comes from the father of toxicology, uh, Paracelsus, who, you know, was an old white guy in the 1500s. Um, <laughs> he was an alchemist, actually. So, you know, he was one of those, like, crazy chemistry, alchemy sort of people. Uh, but he was interested in, I guess, poisons. And so, <laughs> no, he, you know, he has this quote of the dose makes the poison. Um, and that's the really important idea that I think I try and take along with me is that literally anything could be toxic the question is how much and what have you got going on with yourself right and so it's really hard to pinpoint exactly like oh you know everybody's safe below this level it's hard to know and everybody's going to have toxic effects above this level it's really hard to pinpoint that exact number yeah but that exact number is the most important thing that you could figure out right yeah for so anyone chemical. i guess i guess when you're thinking about it so it's like okay if you have um deodorant that has aluminum mm -hmm. in it 
-hmm. And then you have something else that has aluminum in it or something. It's like, okay, then, so that is why like the, you're saying the dose makes the poison because, Mm -hmm. um, my understanding is that like deodorant has, it's like an, is it an estrogen producer or blocker? I can't remember. Aluminum? Um, so there's some concerns that aluminum um, might be associated with Alzheimer's disease. Okay. I think that that's what I've understood. But to, in terms of metals, like aluminum is not really top of the list in terms of toxic metals. Like mercury, that's probably number one. Chromium, yeah. um, hexa, or excuse me, hexavalent and, uh, chromium and cadmium. Like those are the big ones that are like, oh yeah, that's really going to cause a problem. That's going to really damage your kidneys that's going to get into your bones and mess with your um, blood cell development. That's going to be a neurotoxin that um, has a lot of damage in developing kids. Um, like those are the big ones. Aluminum, really? Well, so why, why is the natural deodorant movement so big then? Are there other chemicals mm-hmm. in it? Um, so I think, um, yeah, and that one is kind of confusing to me because I feel like we put so many chemicals on our bodies every day, right? You know, why are we focused on deodorant? Um, maybe, it's, like, maybe it's because it's one that everyone wears, like men yeah. and women. And so yeah. that's like an easy one. So how, mm-hmm. what are some of the signs that, that you know, our society is being influenced by to- toxic chemicals? So like, mm-hmm. how does someone know? Like, what are, how does it manifest itself? Yeah, so I think... You know, as you were saying, Andrea, you know, this is kind of um, interesting times for us in that we are experimenting on ourselves as people, right? You know, we have all these chemicals around us. We don't really know what they do, but that's the way that we're living right now. Um, And so we're getting a lot of epidemiological studies that are coming out um, on a regular basis that are linking um, different human health effects with certain chemical exposures. And these can be hard to pinpoint, as we discussed, um, but there's a lot of linkages. And so it's really important that we follow these, that we pursue them um, and see you know, everything that's going on. So I'll give a couple of examples. Um, So there's a a big class of chemicals right now that's a big concern um, called PFAS, which is per and polyfluoral alkyl substances. Um, And those are linked with um, immune system suppression, which right now in the time of coronavirus, right, we all want our best possible immune system. (laughs) So, So that's not good. Um, and PFAS, you can find those in um, a lot of household products like nonstick frying pans, um, fast food wrappers, water-resistant clothing. Um, so, so that's one link that's starting to become pretty clear. Um, we've also been seeing over the past few decades changes in our sexual development. Um, an example of that would be that girls are entering puberty um, at younger and younger ages um, than previously. Um, then there was also a recent That's study. so that, interesting. Yeah. Andrew, right? did, was that one of the things that was talked about in, in your film at all? That is so interesting. Wow. Because that has something to do with the food that we eat too, like the hormones and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it could be from a number of different things and we don't know for sure, but there's definitely toxic chemicals out there that interfere with your hormones. Yeah. And, and girls are entering puberty younger and younger, you know, as young as like nine, eight, seven years of age. Um, and there are health issues associated with entering puberty earlier. Um, so you know, that isn't something of concern and, and it could be, or par- partially from, um, hormone disrupting chemicals. Mm-hmm. There was also a study um, that was conducted a few years ago comparing sperm counts in men um, with some recent samples and then some samples or some information that they had from about 50 years ago. And they estimated that there's about a 50% decrease in sperm in men, which has some potential fertility. <laughs> right? I know. You're like, so it's oh, not God, all God, women. Get it together. No. It's not all no. the women because they, they, they try to blame stuff on us. And not, it is no. not always. <laughs> no. Gentlemen, you hear that? Go get your yeah. sperm checked. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, do that and then also swap it out for safer products, right? Yes. You know, mm-hmm. remove the hormone disruptors so you can have high quality sperm. Yes. Uh, yeah. 
Um, and then, um, Andrea, as you were talking about, you know, breast cancer is increasing in the United States. Yes. Um, you know, I think almost everybody knows somebody who has breast cancer or has had that at some point in their life. Um, and so we're at a point right now where one in eight women in the United States will be diagnosed with breast cancer at some point in their lives. Uh, but if you looked at that number 40 years ago, it was one in 10. And about half of these cases, um, there's it's for women who have no known risk factors like genetics, like the BRCA gene right. um, or, or dietary things. Um, so these are from other causes, potentially toxic chemicals. So, so there's pretty good consensus um, among scientists, among toxicologists that exposure to toxic chemicals is causing negative health outcomes for Americans, that it's increasing the risk of diseases for us. Um, and so there is one estimate um, that this exposure to toxic chemicals is responsible for about 80 billion in healthcare costs annually. Wow. Um, but that's just, again, you know, that's just yeah. a number of things that we feel pretty darn confident about. And then there's all the stuff that we don't feel confident yeah. about that wasn't counted in that number. So the actual number is probably a lot higher. Unfortunately. Yeah. So yeah. I know like on a lot of labels, it'll say BPA free and phthalate. Is it phthalates or phthalates? <laughs> phthalates. So phthalates. Yeah. How is the, yeah. I promise phthalates. I graduated journalism school. I promise. I promise. <laughs> no, no, no. You're okay. Because, okay. So let me spell this word out for people. So it is P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S. Phthalates. And the P-H... T really is silent yeah. on the front part of it. So yeah. <laughs> okay. So BPA and phthalates are the yeah. top two chemicals that we hear about most often. I guess this question is, is really kind of for both of you because mm -hmm. Andrea, did you hear about this a lot in your film Were these two of the chemical groups that those were two of the like top chemicals as far as that group of the top chemicals of concern, those were two very prevalent ones. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Melissa, so when like we hear about these being toxic, can you talk more about their function and, and what products they're often in mm -hmm. and why are companies like, you know, now trying to avoid them? Yeah. And so I'm glad that this is getting a lot more attention um, because I think it's important. And both of these, both BPA and phthalates are um, a, what believed to be endocrine disruptors. Um, so that means they're messing with natural hormone levels in your body. Um, and both of them seem to act um, uh, like estrogen in the body. And so it's going into cells that normally respond to estrogen and it's triggering that response in the cell. Um, so that then has potential to interfere with, um, you know, levels of your sex hormones throughout your body in both men and in women. Um, so there is concern that these chemicals can interfere with the natural development of both boys and girls. And then there's concern also that you could still have um, outcomes for adults, you know, related to fertility or reproductive health. Um, so BPA um, is a plasticizer, so it's used in a lot of plastics, and the function that it does is that it helps make the plastic softer and more pliable. Um, so you'll find much more BPA in a really soft and flexible plastic. Um, and so like thinking about your beauty products, if it comes in a squeezy tube, um, you know, odds are good that there's BPA in there or another plasticizer. Uh, yeah. And so, you I know, it's know that. maybe not necessarily, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's maybe not necessarily in the product itself. Like they didn't deliberately put it in the product, but yeah. it's in the plastic squeezy tube. And then it um, comes out of the plastic squeezy tube into the product itself. And then you get it on your skin and it's pretty readily absorbed through the skin, gets in your bloodstream. Yay! Full complete process. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, a lot of companies are moving away from BPA and using BPA alternatives like BPS. Um, but the problem is that um, you know they've shifted from one chemical that we know a lot about to a new chemical that we don't know a lot about. But the little that we do know indicates that it's behaving pretty much the same way as BPA. Okay. So a lot of the things that are labeled BPA free, that just means that it has BPA's, you know, essential, essentially it's cousin in it that's probably doing the same thing. Yeah. So a lot of tricky marketing too. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think you can choose to believe that it's tricky that people are deliberately trying to confuse the consumer, or I think, um, you know, you can think about the, that it's just that it's complicated, and people yeah. don't know what to say, um, you know, and, and it's hard to know, to drill deep down into the truth of any one specific thing, and so it is true, there's no BPA, like the standard layperson, the standard marketing person is like, oh, there's no BPA in here. That's yeah. great, right? So, so yeah. Yeah. And then. Yeah, phthalates. phthalates. My favorite word mm-hmm. of yeah. the day. <laughs> I know. Everyone's favorite word of the day. Um, so phthalates are also used in plastics. It's also a plasticizer. Um, but they're also very commonly used in fragrances. And the reason for this is because it helps the fragrance stick to your skin. So that means that um, the fragrance performs better, right? You smell it for longer. Um, And so unfortunately, you know, it behaves in much the same way. It absorbs through the skin. It gets into the body and starts interfering um, with uh, normal hormone regulation within the body. So so those are some big ones. Um, You know, hormone destruction... And two, just yeah, to note regarding um, perfumes, one thing, one of the things that I've learned from you guys is that they're not required to disclose what's in them because it's like considered a trade secret. So perfumes could, I mean, anything literally could be in them. And that yeah. is scary. I've started, yeah. I, I am like, you know, trying to completely transition to clean beauty, but I've started trying to just spray them on my clothes. Mm-hmm. as to kind of like decrease. I don't know if that really helps. Andrea's laughing at me. Because <laughs> a lot of people tell me that. They'll be like, oh, I had a good friend and she really liked this Prada perfume and she was like, I would only put it on my clothes. And I'm like, well, great. So you're not getting it into your skin, but you're still sucking it in through your nose. So it's well, like, yeah. I, I hold my <laughs> breath, Andrea. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> I will ask Melissa. She'll tell you. <laughs> Well, and I'll have to tell you, I'll have to tell you, it depends on what the chemical is and what it's doing, right? You know, what's the exposure pathway of greatest concern? So I agree with you, like you are minimizing your um, exposure through your skin. So yay, that's probably good. So you're probably getting less phthalates. Um, But then, yeah, you're totally still inhaling it. So, you know, if that's greater concern, given that fragrance is a trade secret and we have no idea what it is we don't know whether it's more of a problem to be inhaling it or to have it on your skin yeah so so i don't know yeah Yeah. fragrances are are really tricky just because there's so much that we don't know and then also so in the time of coronavirus right um respiratory health is a really big deal and a lot of fragrances are known respiratory irritants. Um, they can trigger asthma. They can cause a lot of issues um, within your respiratory system. And so, you know, in the time of coronavirus right now, if you want to take care of yourself, I would really recommend switching to things that are unscented or mm-hmm. things that are scented just from the things that are in it, like a plant oil or, or whatever is already mm-hmm. in the product. There isn't an added um, natural or artificial fragrance. Just try and avoid those um, because I think that'll really help you and your family um, breathe cleaner air and that um, hopefully will help you and your family in the time of coronavirus. Okay. That is, that yeah. is very helpful. So um, the next topic being that it's summer, sunscreen, uh-huh. sunscreen, yes. especially uh-huh. I, have, I have pale skin, so I am applying sun. I go bike riding a lot mm-hmm. and that is, you know, recently become a big big topic for the clean beauty um, movement, not just because it can impact, you know, depending on what type you use, it can impact your, your, your body, but also in the the environment, you know, when I went to Tulum, Mexico, they told us that we could only, you know, wear a certain type of sunscreen. And so Mm -hmm. can you tell me, you know, why this is the case? What is in sunscreen that, you know, these concerns are coming from and what should people start using? If they're yeah. Not ready. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's been exciting for me to see the um, conversation about sunscreen really explode because I've been on my sunscreen soapbox for quite a few years, and I'm glad that everybody else is joining me on the soapbox. <laughs> You're like welcome, yeah. welcome, come, come join me. Let yes. us talk about active ingredients. Yes. So, um, so yeah, they're a hot topic right now because um, there was some research that came out that linked um, some specific sunscreen ingredients with um, the die-off of coral reefs. 
And so places where that's really important, like Hawaii and the Florida Keys, they started implementing some bans um, for this particular um, ingredient, which is called oxybenzone is the name of it. Um, and so that, you know, hit the news like, oh, my God, you can't use sunscreen at the beach. Um, but it was really it's just this specific ingredient um, that was banned. And so what's interesting about sunscreen is that um, it actually is considered an over-the-counter drug. And so it has better regulation possibility than regular cosmetics or shampoos or soaps. Um, so right now, the FDA is actually working on some new sunscreen regulations, which is really exciting. Um, but unfortunately, those did get put on hold uh, during the pandemic. So we're still waiting for those to come out. Um, but kind of preliminary results, they have um, only two sunscreen ingredients that they um, consider both effective and safe. And those two are mineral sunscreens. Those are titanium dioxide and zinc oxide. So those are the two sunscreen ingredients um, that, that are noted right now as both effective and safe. And that's because um, they sit on the skin versus being absorbed into it, correct? Yeah, exactly. So th there's two kinds of sunscreens in the world. There's uh, a mineral sunscreen or a physical sunscreen and then there are chemical sunscreens. And the mineral or physical sunscreens, exactly as you're saying, they sit on top of the skin and then they reflect the sun's rays back. Um, so it, it's essentially just acting as the reflector. And it doesn't absorb into the skin. It just sits on the surface. Which is why um, it gives you that white, annoying <laughs> exactly. appearance. Exactly. You're like, I have little particles of reflective zinc all yeah. over me. Yes. yes. That, exactly. And so that's why, you know, and understandably, some people don't like that. And so um, there are a lot of chemical sunscreens um, that have been on the market for the past few decades. And those are designed to work a little bit differently. Um, and so they absorb into your skin. And they sit in your skin uh, cells. And then when UV light hits it, it absorbs it before it can make it to your DNA and cause damage. Um, so it is um, protective in that sense. Um, you know, it is absorbing this, the rays so that you don't get a sunburn. Um, but um, there's still, a, the jury's out on these on whether they are safe to use. And so like I was saying, um, the FDA is doing this review right now. It found the two that, that are considered safe and effective, the titanium dioxide and zinc oxide, two chemical sunscreens have been deemed unsafe and then the other 12 active ingredients um, are still under review. And the FDA has asked the industry to submit more safety data um, so that they can get a better understanding on that. Um, so that's kind of a stay tuned moment. We don't know yes. what's going to come out. Yeah, you know, and, and looking at the, the chemical sunscreen ingredients, there are a couple that seem to be pretty bad actors, right? Oxybenzone um, linked to the coral reef die-offs, and then it's also a hormone disruptor itself. Um, but, um, then there are others that maybe aren't as bad. So, so we're trying to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so I think too, um, one of the things that is hard for people to digest and understand, it's like, why should I care now? Because, mm -hmm. you know, there's often a delay in, in impact of side effects of, you know, of harm, harmful chemicals. So, but you know, in time that adds up and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, where should people start now that we have sufficiently probably freaked everyone out, <laughs> which is, which is actually Aww. my goal because when you're scared, you take action. <laughs> so Aww. hopefully everyone's freaked yeah. out and running, running <laughs> to the grocery store. <laughs> Just kidding. Clear no, no, no. Yeah. no. But I do, I do want this conversation to motivate people. So mm -hmm. like, so I guess, let me rephrase that question. So what are some of the, like, the delays that happen? So some of it happens now. Mm -hmm. Some of it happens long-term. So can mm -hmm. you talk about some of the now side effects and then some of the long-term side effects? Yeah. So um, definitely you can have um, a pretty um, clear reaction to something, like, right after you put it on, right? And it'll seem like an allergic reaction or, like, um, skin irritation, or um, it'll really irritate your respiratory system. Um, like you can pretty clearly have some immediate bad effects to something. Um, but then what gets tricky um, is especially the idea of cancer, right? It's a multi-step process. Um, the first thing that needs to happen is that you have cellular DNA, 
um, that's damaged. And then that needs to perpetuate. And then um, it, it needs to be in a certain part of the cell that will um, start to cause problems. And then it needs to continue to get worse over time. So cancer typically takes 20 to 30 years after you've been exposed to something um, to develop. And so that's really hard to know, right? Of like this product that I'm putting on today, will it yeah. cause problems for me 30 years from now? That's, that's pretty much impossible to say for sure because everybody is so unique. Um, it's really hard to, to say what exactly would happen. So, so I, you know, I, I really understand that this topic can be scary, that this topic can be overwhelming. You think, oh my God, everything in the world causes yes. cancer. I'm just going to huddle down here and just do my normal thing because I can't handle it. <laughs> I understand that, but you know, I really encourage people to, um, to just take small steps and to think that every little bit that you can do to reduce your exposure potentially can give you a really big payoff in terms of health for both you and your family. Yeah. You know, so ask yourself, what if you could avoid a case of breast cancer 30 years from now? Would that be worth it? Um, what if you could minimize fertility issues for your son? What if you um, could keep your granddaughter from getting asthma? You yeah. know, every small action that you take right now potentially can really, really help you and your family. So I really encourage folks to to take small steps, do what you can yeah. um, to minimize your exposure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's never too late to start. It's never mm -hmm. too late to start. I'm, I'm going through, you know, the process now. And I tell you, this natural deodorant is very yeah. different. <laughs> it is very, no, very different. That you thought it would. Yeah. And, no, I mean, I'm getting used to it, you know, but it is different. Um, yeah. So yeah. how, so in terms of like taking action, because mm -hmm. I do want this podcast to have like tangible takeaways. So yeah. I know that one of the things that people can do, you know, in terms of establishing if, you know, trying to, or distinguishing rather between safer products and products that might be harmful to their health, like the environmental working group um, mm -hmm. has yeah. a website and an app where you can look up things. Um, so can you, can you talk more about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, and Andrea was mentioning this earlier. Um, and this is the place that I really recommend folks go. Um, it's the Environmental Working Group, ewg.org. It's a nonprofit organization. Um, and they have a great group of scientists on there that review toxicological research and they put it into their skin deep database is what it is. And um, so you can look up beauty products in the database and it will give you a really nice summary of um, what are the things that are in there and then are they cause for concern. Um, you know, and you'll look at any one product and you'll realize, oh, you know, most of the ingredients here are probably just fine, but then what are these two things doing yeah. in here? Yeah. So it gives you information, but it's very understandable, um, for a general, um, member of the public. They color code it. So green means good, right? Um, orange means caution and then red means probably hazardous. Let's not use that. Um, and so it's pretty easy to look up a product in the database and then just, you know, scan the colors. Like, am I in the green zone? Okay, great. You know, moving ahead with that. Or, oh, this is all red. Like, let, hmm, let's pick a different one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, um, it is a nonprofit. And so they do try and maintain the database as best they can. But the industry is always um, creating new products and reformulating and they can't always keep up. Um, so if you're in a situation where you're looking for a product and it's not in the database, you can always, um, you know, do it the hard way and type google? every single <laughs> yeah. ingredient no you can type it into the database oh itself. yeah google the ingredient list okay type the ingredients one at a time bis to <laughs> ethyl hexyl phthalate you can put it in there and then um it will run the results for each individual chemical so you can yeah. do that you know it's a it's a little bit annoying it takes more time um, but it sounds but like both of you ladies yeah, both of you ladies mm -hmm. have done that. So, Andrea, so are you completely clean beauty? Uh, have you switched? Have you made the switch? I have, with the exception of, um, well, let's see, have I? Yes, I have. There's one dry shampoo that I'm using now that 
I, it's aerosol based. And so that to me, I try to avoid aerosols just for environmental purposes. Cause to me, there's, yeah. kind of a lot of, there's a lot of overlap with, you know, clean beauty as well as environmental health. So it's, it's like, Oh, good for me, but I'll just keep dumping this stuff and killing the fish. Right. So yeah. Yeah. To, you know, be thoughtful about that. But um, yeah, I would say I'm 99% at this point. I would say give or take, like I have a dry shampoo that is not aerosol. And then I have one that is, so I'm like, okay, but there are certain things that's really hard. Like I was even talking to, the founder of a large national clean beauty retailer and um her um one of, one of the people in her leadership team was saying like i'm just not going to be able to do 100 i have to sort of pick my poison and a lot of people have said that even my interview with dr linda birnbaum who is the national director you know the, the director of the national toxicology program through the nih she had um gel nail polish on and i asked her about it when i interviewed her i was like so doc tell You're me like caught i've yeah. got you <laughs> what's the story you know and she was like i choose to mitigate this risk for myself this is something that i really like to have my nails on it's something i do to treat myself it's you know basically a, a stress reducer and something i enjoy and so i know the risk with it but I'm choosing to, you know, this is a personal decision I'm making and, you know, I make other healthy choices in my life to kind of, in a sense, and I'm, this is not a literal quote, but basically, you know, if we make healthy choices, the majority of the time, there's sort of people will say, well, there's an option to sort of, um, cut loose a little bit. It's like when you diet six days a yeah. week, you have a yeah. seven. it's kind of that same ideology. So I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, we all have our things, you know, some people just can't give up their mascara that they love. That makes their lashes like four inches long, yeah. but maybe yeah. has some questionable ingredients in it. Um, but, so yeah, I don't want to be um, preachy and like harp on people, but I think, you know, you have to choose if you have the knowledge then you're empowered to make different choices. And it is absolutely up to every individual to find out what is important to them and to what degree, but at least people know now and then yes. they choose what's best for themselves and their families. And if they yes. don't go like 1000% crazy, you know, putting strawberries on their cheeks for blush and, you know, <laughs> extreme. Do it. More power to you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But you know, if they want to be still using some conventional products in the mix, then, you know, it's, it's totally your choice, but at least people can, can make a knowledgeable decision with that information rather than, you know, not having any information and just assuming that, oh, it's all safe. Cause yeah, it because be it's not. Yeah. 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 I am like, I would say mm, like halfway three quarters of the way there. I think my hair products are probably what's, what's hard in terms of, cause my hair is like very, very long. And so I use like a detangler and stuff to even like get my brush through it. But I know, um, Melissa, you're a beauty counter rep and I have like switched to a lot of like beauty counter stuff. Have you gone completely clean beauty? <laughs> No, I would agree. I know, I know. God, I feel the pressure on all the angles. Um, so I would say that. Okay, so I am a. I am a. Okay, okay. I am a professional belly dancer. Okay, and when I go out and perform, this is a full face of makeup right like eyeliner out to here like it is intense and almost all of it is beauty counter products okay um which you know is a product that i really stand behind um and it's so sparkly oh my god it's fantastic um but <laughs> but i need the fake eyelashes and i have not been able to find an eyelash glue um that is a safer eyelash yeah. glue so, so I do have some things like that, um, in my, my arsenal of beauty products, if you will. Um, but so like Linda, you know, I feel like you can make choices, um, for yourself, right. And, and mitigate the risk. Um, but then also I think it's a question of, um, how much exposure you're getting, right? Mm -hmm. So if I was swapping my products out for the first time, if I was just starting right now, I would start first with products that I use on my kids because kids generally are the most sensitive. They're still developing. Their brains are still developing. They can be more sensitive than adults to toxic chemicals. So I would start there. Start with your What kids. if you don't have kids? If you don't have kids, move straight <laughs> on. I don't have kids. It's a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot easier. <laughs> I don't have kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, the second place to start would be products that you use every single day. Okay. Because you're getting more exposure to them every single day. And swap those out next. And then 
you can start thinking about the products that you use infrequently. Like in my case, you know, I don't perform every single night. I perform like once a month, once a quarter. And so wearing eyelash glue once a quarter, that's not a ton of exposure for me. So, so leave those towards the end. You know, those are your lower priority. You can get your most bang for your, your buck really focusing on the things that you use a lot of every day. So I'd recommend starting there. Um, you know, so that it hopefully it's a little less overwhelming yes. <laughs> than um, trying to do everything all at once. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that's mm-hmm. great advice. And that's, and I've actually found that some of the, um, some of the, you know, natural products and especially for the face stuff mm-hmm. um, have been amazing, mm-hmm. like a hundred times better than the other stuff that I was using. And so I think there is kind of this thought that they're not going to be as good. And there are a lot that are even better. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, hopefully that gives people like a shred of hope. And, and, and also, you know, I do, you know, I do want to scare people a little bit because I think, (laughs) I think scaring does force people into action. Um, and this is something that, you know, that we consume every single day. Um, so anyway, Thank, but thank you both of you for being on this podcast, for your knowledge, for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Um, Melissa, do you want to shout out if people want to get beauty counter products? What is the link that they can find for oh, that? Sure. Yeah. So um, beauty counter, um, just really briefly. Um, so it's a company that's um, been founded with a focus on clean beauty. Um, so that's, you know, educating the community, advocating on Capitol Hill for better regulations. And then also beauty counter has its own line of luxury products um, that are designed with some of the most stringent safety um, um standards and supply chain standards in the industry. Um, So it's something that I feel really comfortable using and putting on my body. Um, And you probably know a beauty counter consultant. They are everywhere. Um, What's your link? What's your link? (laughs) I think, you know, reach out to your family and friends. See who you know who's doing that. But if you can't find anybody who's doing beauty counter, you can go to beautycounter.com slash Melissa Sandoz. M-E-L-I-S-S-A-S-A-N-D-O-Z. And you can purchase through me. I am happy to be your consultant, but you probably also know somebody who is a consultant as well. So you can support them too. And as you're saying to here, there are so many good options out there right now. You know, there's a lot more awareness that's being developed um, being developed and a lot of companies are working with this focus in mind. Um, so, you know, just explore, right? Yeah. Have fun, explore, yes. try new products and be like, Oh my God, I love how sparkly yes. this is. Um, or, Oh, this product really does not work for me. Now I know, you know, just go out and explore and see, see what's going to work for you and your skin type and your beauty needs. Yes. Yeah. And check out Andrea's film once it's out, prettyuglythefilm.com, right? Yes, thank you so much. Can I just jump in? I wanted to add one more comment about the policy when we were talking about the federal legislation. Yes, yes. Okay, so I pulled up a transcript from the policy director at Breast Cancer Prevention Partners because they want to make sure I have that information accurate. And she said that um, the Personal Care Products Council spent millions of dollars flying in lobbyists for big cosmetic industries to, to defeat the bill in California. So I said like 600,000, she said they spent millions. And then she said, they've also spent tens of millions of dollars at the federal level fighting against cosmetics legislation. So what's really confusing about that is in Europe, they've banned more than 1300, banned or restricted more than 1300 chemicals. And the, a lot of these multinational corporations are manufacturing products overseas as well as in the state. So what's super confusing and mind blowing to me is why would they spend so much money trying to stop legislation to make safer products here when they could just sell the same products that they're making in Europe to us in the yeah. States. And then everybody would have, have access to safer ingredients. So that is still something that the jury, like I just don't, no one can really explain yeah. that to me. The only thing that comes to mind is that the, um, it's very expensive to reformulate. It costs a lot of money and the R and D can be very expensive. And I'm sure again, Melissa probably can speak to that from a science perspective, but that is just still boggling to my mind. So I just wanted to bring that up for consideration because I don't think people realize like these big companies, they're making safer stuff overseas, but then they're selling us kind of crap because they can (laughs) and it's called money. It's just really unfortunate, but I just want to toss that out. No, and that was, that was an important note that we didn't get to. So I appreciate you bringing that back up. Yeah, absolutely. So Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, folks, that is, ep- that is it for this episode of Tall Hungry Girl Talks. As I mentioned, this is part one of a two-part series of my Clean Beauty series. Um, both episodes are great. Um, I interview Ayana Woods for part two. She has her own company that's mostly focused on um, hair care products um, and really targets um, African-American women. Um, that's an important episode that I think people need to listen to as well because it talks about like the, the manufacturing and, and consumer side of things as well. And so... Um, I hope people listen to that as well. So thank you, ladies. You can find other episodes on TallHungryGirl.com and Spotify um, and Apple Podcasts and anywhere where you listen to to your podcasts. Thank you. Until next time. 